Hello and welcome to Management Cast, where some of the brightest minds in the business world explain the commercial concepts shaping industry today. This week we're back with IMD's Professor Jennifer Jordan. Jennifer is a social psychologist and is Professor of Leadership and Organisational Behaviour at IMD. Good to have you here, Jennifer. My pleasure to be back. Thanks, John Joseph. So in our last episode, we spoke in some depth about the dangers of power, the pitfalls. And in our first conversation, we discussed how power has become what you termed a dirty word. So I wanted to start with this question in this final episode. Do you think that that will change? I don't think it will change. I think that there are two sides, as I mentioned in the last episode. There's the benevolent side, where it really makes people even more helpful than before. And then there's the more malevolent side, where it leads people to be more egocentric and self-serving. I don't think it necessarily will change. I think in every society, there's sort of a evolution of how power is seen, if it is loved, desired, hated, feared. And I think it depends a lot on what people's experience with power has been. I'm an American by birth. And I would say that Americans sort of love power. We're a bit obsessed with it. And then I lived in Germany for a while, about 20 years ago. And I saw there the society based on their history were quite afraid of it and afraid of the impact it can have. So I don't necessarily think in the future, like there's this universal view of power that's going to shift. I do think that Every society, every group has dynamic relationship with power and how they see it. You spoke in there and in episode one about how a country's culture and history can change a broader view on power. Do you see these trends or changes in Europe today, perhaps the war in Ukraine, changing how people view power over the next few years? I actually don't. Where I see, I see a change is people categorizing individuals as like power wielders versus leaders. I don't actually see a shift in, ah, is power good, is power not good, but more of this categorization of that person uses their power for evil, that person uses their power for good. And I think there's different ways now, if we were going to think about transitions in power, I think there's different ways that people communicate their power. So I could say with confidence, 15 years ago, right, there was not really this idea of influencers in the same way that we have them now on the internet or on, you know, on social media. And that's certainly a new way of exerting power. And it can be a, a quite a bit of power, right? Depends on the number of followers that you have. So I wouldn't actually say that I've seen like a transition or an evolution in how people view power. But I would say that I've seen a change and an evolution. I don't know how to call it an evolution because evolution tends to suggest that things are going in an upwards direction. So I would say a transformation in different ways in which people can gain power and express power in a society. So Jennifer, you mentioned the internet and social media there as things that may transform our view of power. Are there any particular trends, whether they be technological or cultural, that you think are going to have a major influence on the wielding of power in the next few years? Perhaps something which people are unaware of at the moment. So if I were to say where I see transitions in where power comes from or how power is gained, I think I can only imagine right now one, and I'm not sure if no one has thought about this before, but but it is one that I see is starting to change is the age or the generation in which power can manifest in society. It feels like for me, I think there is some evidence that it has been at a younger and younger age. And why is this? A couple of reasons. One is access to information, right? So essentially power, one way of gaining power is by 
both having information, but also dispersing of information that other people desire. And we see that access to information used to be very much at a certain age level in society, right? It was the adults and adults that were paid certain salaries that had radios or televisions or phones, etc. But as you see younger people getting access to these sources of information, so social media, smartphones, the internet, then information is dispersed at younger at younger ages. And as a result, one thing we've I've also seen a transition on, but this is more influence than power, is that influence used to be a lot around aspiration point. I admire that person because I want to someday be like them. And now we're seeing a lot of influence by identification. Oh, I'm really influenced by that person because they're like me. I see some of myself in them now. And with this access of information of younger and younger generations, they're able to find people that they identify with that as a result, they give these individuals power just by sheer access to their information dissemination. So in a way, it's like power leading to influence, right? That's a classic relationship, but it is happening at younger and younger ages merely because of access to different technology in this case in which this information is transferred. And do you see that as a positive development? Uh, I think it's a very mixed one. As a parent, I'm like, ah, some of this information that's disseminated, (laughs) I think, has a lot of damage, right? And we see that with, for example, cyberbullying and depression levels at younger ages, etc. Psychological disorders that are happening right now in society, especially with COVID, when people, really young people, were living on their phones on social media. Um, I also think there's obviously a lot of good that can come from this information dissemination, especially if you're living in remote areas, rural areas where you don't have the same natural access to this information. So I think like anything society, right, it has two, two sides. And you've spoken there about some of the possible global trends we'll see when it comes to power. Is that what your research is focused on at the moment? Do you think that's what businesses are most interested in learning or finding out about? So I would say that there's two two answers that I have for that, John Joseph. The first one is that and it's actually not where I'm, I'm researching. I'm a psychologist, so I'm really curious what happens, you know, between the two ears, uh, what happens in people's heads. So I'm more, I'm less about kind of society phenomenons, which would be more of a sociological question, and really more about the individual experience of power. So kind of where my own research is is still focused is really on that instability. What happens to the individual as that power becomes destabilized? How do they react to the world around them, etc.? Um, but also that relationship that you, we talked about earlier in the previous episode about the relationship between power and unethical behavior, unethical behavior, because I we still don't have clear answers. Like when does power really lead to benevolence and when does it lead to more corrupt practices? There's still a lot to be learned there. And I think that is certainly an important question for society and business because power as you grow in organizations as you grow in societal leadership or or in government power normally goes along with that and how do we assure that people ensure that people are really using that power for good and not for self-aggrandizement then there's a question of what businesses are interested in i see two things that they're asking a lot about and they're not they're certainly not articulating them as power questions but as a power researcher i see them through that lens The first one is how do we give power to different groups that have traditionally had power? How do we share that power? How do we empower other groups that might be younger generations in the organization, that might be minority groups, et cetera? And related to that, how do we give power to people and then deal with power threat as well? 
Because if people see power as a zero-sum game, which they often do, when I give power to one group, it often means taking power away from another group. And that leads to that question of power and stability and threat. And so how do we also reduce those negative effects of threat? Because that's one thing. I might have mentioned it in episode one, that what the powerful want more than anything else is to hold on to that power. And so as you threaten power, as you move it from one group to another, there is often very insidious effects from that that movement. So I see companies really asking those questions. And as I said, they're not framing it as a question about power, but I'm reading it as a question of power, rightly or wrongly. So when it comes to how businesses and leaders can improve themselves, there was something you said in the last episode that I wanted to come back to. You were talking about how leaders can go through feedback sessions, personality assessments, but also coaching. How does coaching work when it comes to dealing with power and the way people can wield power in a more effective or more productive way? I think there's sort of three steps, right? The first one is when we talk about which is the self-awareness, right? Coaching can help you become more self-aware by you know, debriefing certain personality assessments or 360s or helping you to form these assessments where you get feedback, you solicit feedback. So that's one place they can help. The second place is to make sense of this feedback. You know, what does it mean for you? How does it really manifest itself in your behavior, both good and bad? Because we know that all of our strengths are also weaknesses. There's no strength that we have that doesn't have a dark side to it. So I think coaching can help you to become aware of the nuances of your personality and of your competencies and then kind of what to do about it, right? So let's say there is a part of you that you think kind of abuses power. Just an example what are some things, micro behaviors, practices that you can do to ensure that over time there is change in your behavior and, and in a direction that you want, that you desire, and, and also to kind of keep you accountable, right? So check in, how are things going, what's going well, what is not going well. And I've gone through coaching in my life. I can say it's one of the most impactful things in my personal life, but also I've seen the transformative effects on the leaders that I work with. And is that something you've engaged with at IMD? Yes. So many of the programs that I have, I think, you know, my best programs are the ones where coaches are deeply involved. They really, they can do transformative things and they have amazing skills. I think it's also that personalization that they give, right? If I'm with a class, like for example, I have a class of 38 people starting next Wednesday, next week, and I can't have in two and a half days, a lot of high touch with, with each of the 38. But then when you break them into small coaching groups of around five people, right, that coach has much more ability to personalize for each of the five members of their group than I have with 38 people. So I think there's also that personalization that can happen when you have coaching, which is really powerful. Okay, so coaching is an integral part of the journey, it seems. Jennifer, we're coming to the end of four episodes in which we focused on power. We've covered so many different aspects of this. But before we go, I wanted to ask you what you think is the one most important thing you'd like to impart on this subject. What's the one lesson, academic or practical, you teach to anyone coming to this podcast for the first time? I would say that the one thing, and it's a tough question, but the one thing I think is really important to take away in your mind is that the one thing that powerful people want more than anything is incumbency or to hold on to that power. And I think that's an important concept both when you have power to think about, okay, what am I doing to kind of hold on to this power that might be destructive? And also, if you're not the one in power and you need something from someone who is in power, what are you doing that might be threatening their power or perceivably threatening their power in a way that they think 
that their power is now destabilized? And is that leading them to react to you in ways that is not helping you to get where you want or get the outcome you want from them or in your relationship with them? So I think it's a really powerful thing to have in mind, both from a personal standpoint, if you have power, but also in saying that, you know, if you have to influence people or have relationships with people who have power, what might you be consciously or subconsciously doing that is threatening their power and leading them to react to you in ways that is not so so desirable? Thank you, Jennifer. I think that's a really great place to stop. And I wanted to thank you for coming onto the show for this fourth and final episode on power. My pleasure, John Joseph. Thank you. Jennifer Jordan is an IMD professor in Lausanne. Her teaching and consulting focus is on digital leadership, ethics, influence, and the subject of today's episode, power. Next time on Management Cast, I'll be speaking to IMD professor Cyril Bouquet about his mega dive approach. See you next time.